again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Have you ever had your qualifications challenged? Someone less qualified claimed to have all the answers, and now you're having to both defend your position and clean up their mess. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Glorious Grace, Designs of Grace, with the first part of a message entitled, Sustaining Grace, which covers 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. For information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we're asking you now that by your spirit that lives in most of us, large percentage of us, that you would speak to our hearts by your indwelling spirit. And for those of us that are in the search for figuring out the faith of Christianity, we're going to invite your spirit to be in this place in a way that truth will become clear, love will become apparent, and lives might be turned toward you by the work of of the cross of Christ. So we just pray, make make this a special time for us all. May it be for many of us, may it be a, a, a turn, a turn in our faith that's going to take us in a direction that's going to bless you and benefit us through our lifetime. So we thank you that we can ask this and we do in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, we're going to play a little guessing game here. Uh, I'm going to give you a statement. Uh, it is a biblical statement, but not a text of Scripture. It's not a verse of Scripture, but it is certainly based on the teaching of Scripture. It'll come from our text that we're looking at today, so don't look down to see what it is, because I like to know what your thought would be in the answer to filling in the last word of this statement. Here's the statement. There is sufficient grace if I am blank. There is sufficient grace if I am, and you fill it in. Now, I'm going to do the same thing I did in the Saturday night service and the early service today, and I'm going to ask you, and I hope you'll do this in the other congregations too, the uh, uh, chapel or whatever, but uh, I hope that you will you'll actually participate in this. So everybody, let's do this. I'm going to give you the answer according to Scripture, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me how many of you had selected that word. Here's the sentence. There is sufficient grace if I am weak. How many of you had picked the word weak? All right, I see a dozen or so hands maybe. You're much better than the early service. There was zero. (laughs) You know, the, the word that is filled in there is not good. It's not if we are faithful. It's not that if we are surrendered. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Folks, do you know how counterintuitive that is? The very fact that of so many of us followers of Christ, knowing much of God's Word, that Word would not come to our minds to end that sentence for most of us. Because in our thinking, that's just too counterintuitive. 
It's countercultural. It's, it's like, no, 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 we know this. We are made strong in our strength. And, and in our weakness, we are weak. Therefore, don't be weak. Be strong. That's the way we think. You know, it, it really is cutting across the grain of human logic, as does so many things. You young people here, I hope you'll understand this. The Christian faith does, it does cut across the grain of human logic. It's not that it's not logical, but it, it cuts across our logic when we first perceive truth. For instance, how in the world are we ever going to get a lot? Well, we say, well, you got to work hard, hang on to what you get. And then we read Scripture, and it says, oh, no, no, if you want to get a lot, give. Give, and it will be given to you. Really? And then we see, okay, well, if I want to really have life, I mean the best of life, the best that life can give me, how am I going to find the best of life? And our thought is, well, I, I got to live it up while the, while the getting's good. I got to play hard. I got to enjoy life. I got to get in the trips. I got to enjoy the thing. That's it. And then we go to God's Word and it says, oh, no, no, if you want to really get life, then you die. You die to yourself. And the greatest way to find great life is to die when you die physically. It's all backwards to what we think. Oh, I want to have a relationship with God. I want God to like me. I want Him to think a whole lot of good things about me. Well, therefore, I better be good and I better earn His favor. And then we, no, 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 cuts right across the grain of human logic. It says, no, it's actually you can do nothing for yourself. You, in fact, have to come to the place and say, I can't do anything that would merit your favor, so I'll just have to just accept yours. This one, equally counterintuitive. Wait, I want to be strong? You've got to become weak. You've got to know your weaknesses. Now, our text is found throughout two chapters I hope you have your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. This is a, a text that gives us a theology of suffering. It's interesting how it comes about because it's, it's the Apostle Paul, the human author, writing under inspiration of God. And he's writing to a people in Corinth, and the people there whom he has he is met because he birthed that church in his second missionary journey. And now a report has come back to him that some bad things are happening. There are these apostles, and they are called super apostles, meaning, oh, yeah, you had your first, you know, that first group that came through, but we are the real ones. We're the super apostles. And they're teaching a doctrine of truth in their minds, which is not truth at all, but they're proclaiming it as truth, and it's now been called, not in Scripture, by, but by those who just describe it, a, a very appropriate word. It's called triumphalism. Triumphalism. J.I. Packer, one of the great theologians of this last generation, he, he has He's written so well on this subject matter of triumphalism. He says, you know, it's a really cruel theology, particularly for those who suffer. How many of us have some story to tell, maybe not about our own life, but the life of some dear one that we care for so much, who is now dying, 
has now got some horrific disease or some horrific kind of ailment or whatever it may be. And they come with the most loving spirit, the most desire to help. I mean, their, their motive is so good. And their zeal for Christ so strong. And they say, look, you know, you can, you can be rid of this. There may be some unconfessed sin in your life. And if you'll just find that sin and confess it, and it may not be some sin. It may be that you just haven't had faith yet. You've got to build the faith and get your faith to the right point, and He will deliver you. And how many people have gone to their grave discouraged, feeling defeated, wondering about their lack of faith, confused about what sin it is that they couldn't find, though they searched their heart, so desiring to God to heal, for God to heal, and He just doesn't do it. Packer, he defines this theology, and this is how he defines it. Triumphalism, the belief that God will save Christians not only from the punishment due them for their sin and the guilt associated, but also from all of this life's burdens, confusion, discouragements, defeats, pain, difficulties, diseases, etc. It's an illegitimate claim. It's false promise. Now, the truth is, you know, God never, ever, anywhere in Scripture promises that He's going to take away all of our problems and pain and suffering if we just whatever. He never promises that. In fact, the Scriptures reveal that there are new problems that come even because of our faith. It's certainly the story of Paul. And therefore, it is so important that we understand this very important understanding of grace, and it's called sustaining grace. That's what we're looking at this week and next week, sustaining grace in our bigger series, A Glorious Grace. Now, let me give you a definition of sustaining grace. It would be the necessary strength to live with the difficulties of life and continue to remain faithful, and notice, and joyous, in spite of those difficulties. Sustaining grace. I'm actually very convinced that the understanding of this subject matter will absolutely save us from emotional disaster. It's a game changer. It really is a game changer. Do you know all the people that commit suicide, the numbers are so high today. There are those who commit suicide because they're going through such physical problems, particularly more elderly people or older people. But do you know the vast majority of people, they're not taking their life because of any physical problem. They're taking their lives because of emotional problems. And they just say, I can't handle it anymore. The pain is beyond what I can handle. And they say, I just soon terminate life. You see, it's this truth of sustaining grace, understanding this upside-down teaching as it would feel. Once we begin to get this, something happens, and we begin to survive. We begin to survive the emotional pain that comes through our problems, distresses, insecurities, 
difficulties, diseases, whatever it might be. And therefore, so important that we study this. Next week is going to be the heart of the message. And there's something in me that's just roaring to get out and get past this first point we're going to look at. There are going to be three truths. We're going to look at the first one this week, the next two next week. And let me tell you, the richness is in those next two, particularly number three. Oh, my goodness. But I'd like for you uh, to listen, follow in your word as I read just two verses that are kind of the heart of the text, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12. Then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the text a little bit. It says this, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness. By the way, terrible word. We'll see that next week. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm going to ask you to do this on your own as a Lord's Day reading today, maybe as your devotion next week or two. You go into chapters 11 and 12. Go into 11 and 12. Read it in its entirety. And certainly next week, we're going to dig a lot deeper. Now, Paul is addressing this issue of triumphalism, and he's going to do it in somewhat of a sarcastic way as he addresses these super apostles. Look with me at verse 5. This is how he says it. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. He's kind of the eminent apostles. And literally, it's super apostles, as they would claim. Uh, they're not real apostles. And so he exposes their illegitimacy and their identity. And so he does that in verse 13. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, they're very unlike Paul. See, these people are promoting themselves. And in the promotion of themselves, they're getting a lot of followers who want to follow them. Because these are the people who are saying, hey, let me tell you about the vision that I had. Hey, let me tell you about the revelation that God gave me. It would be our modern day people who say, oh, God spoke to me and this is what he said. God speaks to you? Oh, yeah, with certainty. I can hear exactly what he's telling me. It's, 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 it's these exact words. This is how he's talking. And we look at those and say, wow, man, you must really be close to God. That's what was happening to these people. And, and, and so he's so, Paul is so hurting for, you know, his children of the faith. And he writes and he says, you can't be fooled by this. Don't listen at all. They're saying, look, it's proven by my lack of problem, pain, and suffering. And it's proved by all of the close encounters that I'm having as God speaks to me in such rich and clear ways. Whereas Paul has never said one word in any of his writings about any vision, about any revelation. However, Luke, in the, as he writes the book of Acts, on six different occasions, he refers to Paul in some sort of special revelation and understanding and so forth. But Paul wouldn't say that. He'd never do that. But by the end of chapter 12, not only do we have a theology of suffering, 
but we have an understanding of its very critical companion called grace. This grace is sufficient grace. So let's look at the first of the three truths, and then we'll stop with that one. It's a foundation, but it's important. For the Christian, life struggles should at the least, I cannot underscore how important those words, at the, it is the least, be viewed as credentials of spiritual legitimacy. So there's, we're going to see the contrast here uh, between Paul and the false apostles, as they would be known. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27 reads like this. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. I'll hold it right there. That's fine. Keep it right there. You'd think, okay, enough, enough. That's, that tells us you've got a pretty bad life that's been going on. But he hadn't even gotten started. He goes on to say, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 40 kills the average man, by the way. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Come, follow me. The Christian life is where you want to be. I mean, that's amazing. But he's saying, hey, they're telling you their credentials, all their visions and revelations and all their wonderful blessing of no problems in life. No, no, no. I'm far, far exceeding them. Here's my proof. He doesn't tell how good things have gone, how much money he's made, how loved he's been everywhere he's gone. He talks about the pain and suffering that he's gone through. It's like, that's interesting. Imagine this way, and maybe this is a little stretch to the teaching of what the text is actually saying, but it's close enough to give you the idea. Can you imagine students, you young folks, can you imagine that, you know, you work real hard when you study, and you do the best you can do, but you know that God's not given you a brain like some people that's so quick and so sharp and so forth and so on, but you study, 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 and you take your exam, and you make a 69, best effort you could ever make. And, and then all of your peers, your best friends, the people you care most about, they come and they start talking about that exam. Hey, what'd you think about the exam? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty easy, wasn't it? It was pretty easy. Yeah, I made a 98. Oh, I made a 97. What'd you do? Well, I made a 99. I made a 96. Can you imagine? Hey, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guess what I made? I made a 69. Whoa, wow. Is that not great? I'm so proud of my 69. You go, oh, no, 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 no. Keep that quiet. Just don't say anything. They won't know what you made. Take a, a common sport. I'll pick an individual sport like golf because I play some golf now. I like golf. So can you imagine that, that you have grown up playing golf, you've had all the opportunity to have lessons, you play a lot of golf, 
You give it your very best, and your scores are horrible. And then you happen to have a bunch of buddies that take up golf later. They don't take me lessons. They're not, you know, but, and they are shooting some really good scores. They say, hey, I, I, shot, a, I shot a 78. Oh, I shot an 80. I shot a 77. I shot, can you imagine? Hey, guys, whoa, 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 let me tell you my score. I shot a, a 98. 98. That great? Oh, I'm so thrilled. No, you'd be going, oh, gosh, I, I feel a little you know, inferior here. I don't, I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope they don't ask me what I shot. How about if you're a pastor and you're at a pastor's gathering and one guy says, hey, you know, we're all saying, tell me about your church. Well, I started the church 12 years ago. We have about 2,200, 2,400 people coming now. Really? Wow. How about you? Oh, I've been there eight years and we have about, we have about 1,900 people coming. Where... Oh, well, guys, let me, let me tell you about my church. I've been there 32 years, and uh, we have nearly, nearly 200 people that come every week. I know it's kind of small, but the reason is because, see, I'm just a really bad preacher, and my pastoring really is no good. But I sure give it my best. Yeah, I love that. We go, well, no, 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 no. You hide your weaknesses, and you push forward your successes, guilty as charged. And I bet most of you are too. Only because we haven't really yet held on strongly enough to this truth and really got what Paul is teaching us right here. It is so intriguing. You see, he wants to boast even in his own revelation and his own vision, but he doesn't want them to know that it's him. He just said, I don't, that does me no good to boast in me. But you know, there's sometimes, I guess you have to boast in things God has done through you for the sake of other people, as in his case right here, a unique case. And so he chooses to do so in the third person. Many of you read this text and say, is, who is this person he's talking about? Well, it's him. This is how it reads in chapter 12, 1 through 6 knowing nothing to be gained personally, but there is something to be gained in the ministry. He says, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable for himself. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. You forced me into it, so here I go. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up in the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, He was caught up into paradise, heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish. That is, in the things that God has done through me. For I shall be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. How interesting. Now he's going to quickly go right back to his more comfortable territory. And so he's going to talk about his greatest credentials. And that's the stuff that's not going so good. 
And he calls it a thorn in the flesh. Chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, it reads like this. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, it's unknown what that thorn is. We have no idea. Uh, it can basically be put into three categories of, of maybe what it could have been. Uh, maybe it was a moral failure, flesh being used of the, of the sinful flesh. Could be. Maybe he had some overwhelming temptations that he just battled all the time and could never get out. John Calvin, great theologian, that's what he thought. It's not the majority of what people think. Most people would put it in a physical category. You know, maybe it was malaria, uh, he, where he ministered in the swamps in the, the coastal areas of Asia Minor. Could be. Uh, maybe it was epilepsy, some think. Some think a speech deficiency. Twice in the two books of First and Second Corinthians, he mentions his lack of eloquence and how he wasn't the speaker that, that uh, so many were. Uh, many think it was an eye disorder. Galatians 6 mentions something about that. And then you've got how he would dictate his letters. We say, oh, maybe because he couldn't see. Maybe it was an eye disorder. But there's a third category. Some would think maybe it was just all the persecutions he was having to go through. Less likely, but very possible. But he makes it unknown. I wonder why. I'll tell you what I think. He's, he's not going to make it known because he says, the minute I identify mine, someone else will look at theirs and go, oh, yours, Paul, wasn't near as bad as mine. Yours was moral. Mine's physical. Or vice versa. And he says, no, no, no. It's a thorn. So I want you to think of a thorn. Imagine that you get a big splinter in your finger. Big, and it's deep. You can't reach it. Next thing you know, it's infected. Your hand is throbbing up to your elbow. You can hardly stand it. You hate the pain. What are you going to do? You say, God, take it away. This is not good. Please, please take it away. Nothing wrong with that. That's what Paul does. Now, Paul realizes there are different options. I don't know if he learned the third option, maybe through this, thorn in the flesh. Maybe he already knew it. He certainly asked it to be taken away. But this is, this is what he says. He says here, basically, he's thinking, you know, I could go on with that thorn. And if I go on with a thorn, I'm going to be less useful. I mean, I can't do a lot of things that I could be doing for the kingdom. My hand is throbbing. It hurts so bad. I can't do much. Or he may be thinking, you know, it could be that God is saying, you know, I'm going to get rid of that thorn so you can be back to your usefulness and be as useful as as you can possibly be. But somewhere along the line, he learns that there was a third option. I'm not taking the thorn away. And the reason is because I want to make you more useful than you could ever be without that thorn. Whoa. Now, it begs the question, where does this thorn come from? Does it come from God? Does it come from Satan? Let me give you the answer. The answer is certainly it comes from Satan. It says the text, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That's Satan. One person writes, though, just because God uses something doesn't mean that evil ceases or that suffering isn't real 
or beneficial? Not at all. It's not saying that that can't happen. It does. So we better know that this stuff, it does come from Satan. But anybody who stops there has not been truthful because we also have to say, oh, by the way, and it comes from God. I mean, it's, it's in the passive tense. It's been given to me. He's looking at it as if God's in control. God, you can take it away. Would you take it away? No, there's no doubt. You look at all of Scripture. Oh, no, no, no. It can be the both and. Uh, Satan can be the deliverer of bad things, but it's in the hand of God because he's sovereign. He is over all. The reality is that only mature Christians can embrace this idea that a good and loving God would allow bad things to happen to them as Christians. And that's why I've already covered that previously in this series. Why does God allow bad things to happen to some of his most faithful followers? And if we go with intuition and assumption, we're going to hit the wrong answer. But only mature will probably ever embrace that. Well, he, he didn't desire the answer he got. But I love the way one person put it when they said it cracked his heart wide open. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. The second and the third, particularly the third teaching. But at this point, I want to conclude. And I hope that when you hear I'm concluding, you don't think we're 30 seconds from arrival. All right? It's going to be a few minutes, but not long. But very important. I would imagine, I would imagine that the vast majority, if you've listened, been a part of this, and you believe God's word, you've probably landed on these three things. You've probably said, okay, triumphalism is not biblical. Don't embrace it. Run from it. Good. Number two, we probably landed at the idea that problems can be useful to me, and therefore, all right, you need to be content. They're, you know, they're a part of life. And thirdly, therefore, I need to even accept them. I need to go so far and say, okay, my problems, I accept. I'll, I'll embrace them. Let me tell you, no, not enough. Way short of the teaching of God's Word, as we will learn next week. Way short. Next week, we're going to see why someone in the worst of pain, struggle, and situations could actually be happy about it. Not just because we're supposed to be, and God will give me the power, and I'll be happy. No, no, no. There is a logical reason that Paul is going to say, I boast about my weakness. I don't just try to cover them or, okay, here it is. It's like, no, 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 no. Look. You want to see who I am? Look at my weaknesses. Wow. Even to boast. Young people, our youth here, you come next week. You come next week. This one's for you. Because you've got the majority of life still left, and it's going to be full of pain. And you can walk through that pain and let it slap you and beat you up and throw you down. And say, yeah, I'm emotional, I can't handle this is the word. Or you can say, whoa, look what's happened to me, and I am joyous. I'm even going to boast in the hard things. I'm okay. 
Once we get this, there is such a freedom. It's a freedom to be weak. We'll actually come to the place, I think, where many will start gladly sharing their weaknesses. And you know what? That's when this becomes a safe church. You know what most of us think when we walk in this church for the first time? I don't know if it's a safe place. It's like every other church I go in. Everybody's got it together. They look happy. They smile. They all have good marriages, and I don't. They all look healthy. I'm not. They all look secure. I'm insecure. When people start getting this truth, and we start putting in an appropriate way on the showcase, hey, here's my weakness. Do you know what? All of a sudden, this becomes the most attractive place to people just like us who are weak and think they're alone in their weakness. So why don't I share my thorn? I got a thorn in the flesh. I've known it for years and years and years as a Christian. No one would have much understanding, except those that are close to me that I have talked to and interact with and so forth. I'm not keeping it secret. But I have a, I have a challenge, and it's, it's a memory challenge. You know, I would think if I didn't know better that at about six or seven years old when I started school, I had Alzheimer's. <laughs> not to make light of it, because Alzheimer's is a treacherous disease. We know that. I've certainly not had anything as, as some of us who, who've had debilities that, are, uh, uh, that you know, have, have come from birth, have come from injury, have come from disease or whatever. No, I'm not experienced. So not near as bad, which makes it even the, the bigger question to me. I can even disguise it, but why does it bring me uh, such feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, and fear. It's amazing the things I can forget. I don't mean forget to pick up my keys, forget, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about data that I've learned, I've studied, I've worked, and I can't remember it. Things that I should be able to recall, an event from three days ago, and I go, was I there? Did I do that? Really? Hey, you remember on the, remember two holes ago when we were playing and remember the such and such and so and so? And I'm going, I can't picture that hole. I can't remember it. What, what, what I go on places and say, man, this is really cool. Well, you were here just three weeks ago. Really? I was, I don't remember. <laughs> this really me? No, it's not something that's just come on. This has been a lifetime. I marry Carol and, and God has gifted her with great memorization ability and so forth, and, and I'm fighting and working, memorizing Scripture and trying so hard to get it, and I can't remember, and then I go over it and over and over and over. She reads it twice, and she quotes it, and I sit there and say, mm. <laughs> I don't want to play board games because I don't want to be embarrassed when I come up to the place and they say, hey, let's play so-and-so, and say, and I go, well, I, I don't quite remember the rules. How, does he, how do you play that game? Oh, you remember? We played it three months ago. I don't want to say, oh, I don't remember. You know where that's gotten me the worst? God called me to be a pastor. That does not fit well in my mind. There are about a dozen of us that have met for 30-something years. We meet here at our church for about three or four days. They're pastors. We're all friends. We've been ministering together for years and years. Only maybe a few of their names would you know, but one of them, a lot of you that have been in the Christian reading for a long time would know 
a fellow named Tim Keller. He's one of the brightest people I've ever met in my life. Well, just to give you a little idea, a little exaggeration, but if there are 12 of us, there's 11 Tim Kellers in the group and me. I love these guys. I dread meeting with them every year. It's a mirror that shoots back at me to say how inferior and so forth, except for I've learned this truth. Not well, but I've learned it enough that I can boast in a weakness that I have forever said, oh God, if you'll give me a better memory, I can be used a lot better. I know better now. And that's where I'm going to pick up next week at the end. I'll kind of tell the rest of the story. But I'm telling you this. This is the truth. We don't want to waste our weaknesses. You got a weakness, use it. And I'm going to really look forward on the 24th because on the 24th when I have a time to kind of share more personal things and so forth, I'm going to pick up on this story. And I'm going to tell you how it's affected my ministry. And I bet you'll see that there is a greatness to the thorns that God gives because it's in our weaknesses that we are made strong. Before I pray, you know this if you've been in the series. That's why I want so badly for people to hear the first parts of the series. It's that Romans 5 it's being introduced into the grace in which we stand. We talked about the circle of grace. We're in this grace. This is where sustaining grace is. We're introduced through justification. We're introduced by the Lord Jesus Christ into his grace in which we stand. And once we begin to understand that great truth and say it is full of sustaining grace, in my weaknesses I can be made strong. Oh my goodness. It's when we realize that, oh, I've got to appropriate the power of God's Spirit so that grace may get to me. I need to embrace the means of grace, reading of Scripture, listening to the Word of God, praying, all the things that God uses to bring His grace. God, bring it on. I need grace because I got a lot of pain. I got a lot of weakness. I got a lot of challenges, a lot of insecurities. But God, your sustaining grace in my weaknesses, I made strong. That's the best news we could have as weak people. And all of a sudden, when we begin to, to learn that collectively, something happens to a church, and, and we're a people that goes, oh, yeah, I got, man, let me tell you about my weakness. Let me tell you about my struggle because it's in our weaknesses we're made strong. Same true about coming to faith, you that are seekers. Only till we come to the place, I'm, I'm so weak, I have nothing to bring to God. That's how weak I am. And I've got to boast in that to say, God, because of that, I get to get your full grace, and it's all about what you do. And I'm going to find my strength in you, not in my morality, not in my goodness, not in my, no, it's in you. So all of a sudden, there's a flip, and we look at those who have the greatest challenges and say, the greatest potential right there. The people that we say, wow, look what God is doing in them and through them, and it's not them, they're weak. It's the strength of God. That's where we go next week. As we pray, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would grant us the joy of embracing our weaknesses, to be able to 
to know that it is in our weaknesses we're made strong. And it's in our weaknesses that your power is perfected in us. So I pray for all of us, particularly our young people. I pray for our next week as we gather to bring this to conclusion and understand it a little bit better. I pray you'd bless that time. I pray for the 24th when we come to kind of put a bow on the whole thing. I pray that we would understand this sustaining grace and we would applaud you big because of it. I pray you would take people here and show them the love that you have on the cross of, of your son Jesus. And it would overwhelm many to the point that knees would bow even now. And hearts would turn to you and say, I want your kind of love. Thank you. Lord, don't let us waste our weaknesses, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.